Hello, you're listening to The Cat Who Did a Podcast with me, Susan Romsdorf-Terry, and... Luke Romsdorf-Terry, where we read a book from the Cat Who Mystery series and discuss it. And on today's episode, we are discussing the 23rd book in the series, My The Cat goodness. Who Smelled a Rat. The Cat Who Smelled a Rat. <laughs> yes. And now, as I pointed out in the previous book... Um, we're, we're no longer getting the cutesy connections of the titles to some action in the book. Now, this is possible spoiler alert, but I want to get this out of the way right now. In the previous book, The Cat Who Robbed a Bank, there was no bank robbery. There is wasn't. there a rat in this book? Only in the metaphorical sense. That is acceptable. <laughs> that works. All right. And it's not so much that Coco is sniffing them out. <laughs> well, anyway. Anyway, so this was published when? 2001. 2001. 20 years ago, jeez. Good Lord, I know. Anyway, we oh, won't... Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, this is a podcast where we just talk about how old we are now. Uh, <laughs> no, anyway. Uh, before we begin and take a dive into our uh, rehash of it, I think we should also say spoiler alert. So... Always. Always. Always gotta say spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. Gotta keep it consistent. Anyway... We try. I think with that, let's go ahead and let's jump right into this one. Alrighty, so this book picks up pretty shortly after the previous book uh, lets off. Um, but now Moose County is now worried about a crippling fall drought and Ooh. praying for snow. We're praying for the big one to hit. Oof. Um, Quill and the cats have, as suggested in the previous book, they have moved into Indian Village a little early. Um, because the snow might come early, more to keep an eye on Polly's quote-unquote charming new neighbor, oh, the dear. mysterious Kurt Nightingale. Kurt Nightingale. Oh, jeez. Kurtwell Nightingale. Who makes up that kind of a name for a fake name? That's, really? What? I know. It's 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 Austin. Yes, I'm Richie Cunningham, and this is my wife, Oprah. It's Austin <laughs> Power Levels. Yeah, of fake now. exactly. Before we continue to further, just as far as timing for me, you said this picks up right after the last book. Like, is are we talking a couple weeks or a We're talking months? a couple weeks. Oh, wow. Because um, the previous book started at the beginning of September. We are now in the middle of October. Oh, wow. Um, so we have not been, it has not been long. No, it uh, very much has not. And we're, uh, you know, it's no, it, it's heading towards November, which is the traditional start of the big one. And that is what we're going for. And the big one has yet to arrive. Mm-hmm. Oh my. There's also just not been a lot of rain. So it's been really, really dry. So small fires are cropping up all over the county. And they're keeping the fire crews busy around the clock. This, yeah, this doesn't sound familiar at all. Yeah, Oof. yeah. Coco, however, we in Colorado did not have Coco on duty, who will predict a fire's <laughs> direction before Quill even hears the sirens. Oh, really? Yes. So, you know, there. to jump to something down the end, the final book of the series was supposed to be called The Cat Who Smelled Smoke. So He's doing it several books early. So to set up a few things. Set up just a few things. Anyway, so um, so Coco is, is playing fire spotter here as well. Um, <laughs> Quill goes to dinner with Polly, and we start off with some apparent good news. Um, our bad news Barb Ogilvy, the knitter from The Cat Who Saw Stars, apparently has had a bit of a personality change in the wake of the summer, and has been hired as the new manager of the Arts Center to replace our beloved Beverly Forfar oh. um, from The Cat Who Sang for the Birds, and of course, uh, the, it, our delightful Thornton Haggis, who filled in in the interim. God, I still <laughs> love that name. My favorite. Um, interestingly, um, Barb, who has previously been described as sexy and slow-eyed, is now being described as well-organized and pleasantly personable. I think she got a haircut. A, a haircut will do that for you. <laughs> it will. I've had haircuts Any, that good. It's true. Anyway, Polly thinks it's a good it's a good fit. Um, Wait, slow-eyed. 
slow eyed, um, it's, um, maybe doe eyed is a better term. Okay. Slow eyed is a term. I, I, I have to look it up. Um, <laughs> well, continue on and I will uh, do a little research thank real quick. You. Um, so yeah, but it's a thing anyway. So, um, Kurtwell Nightingale, as we've mentioned, is still coming on to Polly and gives her with a glove box. Who, who a has glove, a, like an a, actual glove box? Yes, a glove box, like a. This happens to be a carved oak box. Oh wow! With the top, um, with with the top carved with the word gloves and flowers and everything. It's very ornate, um, but it's not Polly's style. And she asks Quills to take it. She feels it's too masculine. Is this an antebellum gentleman? Is this? I do not know. And um, uh, also, those wondering, slow-eyed. It is S L O E. Yes. Like according, slow gin. Like slow gin, yes. And according to the Oxford Dictionary, it is an adjective describing having attractive, dark, typically almond-shaped eyes. Which is why it's slow gin, and as I'm looking at this, realizing it is horribly racist. Because it is specifically Asian-inspired. I'm sorry, moving on. <laughs> well, now we know. And we won't be using that term again. We No, we will not. No, we won't. Anyway, moving on. Um, so the next day, Quill stops by, uh, Ed's Editions, and he spots the, uh, infamous Kurt Nightingale on a ladder. And it should be mentioned, for those of you who might have forgotten, that Nightingale is here as a rare book dealer. So, of course, he's in, uh, the used bookstore looking for hidden treasures. Um, Quill and, uh, Eddington have some fun at his expense talking <laughs> about buying something for 25 cents, when in actuality he's handing him 20 bucks, um, and all of that. And as he's leaving, Eddington reminds Quill that in his will, he is leaving Quill his entire store. Mm. Um, next we jump to, in the spirit of community, uh, Quill has volunteered to drive the limo on a publicity tour for the dedication of plaques commemorating the 10 mines throughout Moose County. (laughs) This dedication will involve some remaining descendants of the mine owners and other local dignitaries ranging in age from 6 to 96, because of course Homer Tibbet, as county historian, is of course included. Oh, good. Now, this means that this motorcade idea was not well thought out. There are 10 mines. Um, only five direct descendants still alive. And once all those five direct descendants have all been photographed, the papers and the local dignitaries head back to town and the rest of them are stuck traveling to the remaining five mines for four hours. And there's no one to visit. No one to, no one to care. No one to watch. Everyone just wants to kill everyone. Just, everyone's, everyone's done. It's a terrible idea. Um, not <laughs> Hixie's finest idea. But on the plus side, it didn't get flooded out. No, that is a big plus. So we'll go with that. Um... Once he's back, Quill, Polly, Arch, and Mildred, of course, head to brunch and a silent auction the next day. Um, It's all to support various local fundraisers. It's lovely. Arch mentions that the banner story in the paper for the next day is the formation of a citizen's fire watch to help keep an eye on the shaft houses. Um, These are, of course, the remaining physical structures that mark all of the mines. They are... they are unique to the community, and they are, of course, being made of wood, heavily flammable. Um, <laughs> That's typically so how So with works, all of yes. these little fires Ugh. that are popping up, they're popping up in spaces that are very, very close to all of these shaft houses. Jeez. So it's a little suspicious to begin with. I was to say, so these fires popping up, it's not as if it's a lightning strike or wind. No. Okay. Uh, it's possibly wind. It's possibly irresponsible um, campers. Uh, or hunters, because we are in October. Gender reveal party. Yeah. <laughs> Less so, it wasn't the thing these days. Um, at 
this particular brunch, Mildred amuses the group with an interesting story about a report card forgery ring that she taught that happened while she was teaching in the public schools. Uh, report so, card forgery. Yeah, three very brilliant students, two very uh, wealthy ones and one not so wealthy one, <laughs> um, were getting together, and because they were the smartest students, they were forging homework, forging report cards uh, for for other students to make money. Mm-hmm. And they were eventually caught. The uh, The two people from wealthy families were kept on, and the uh, the one kid from the poor family was expelled. Oh, of Yeah, because that looks good. Well, that's, yeah, unfortunately that seems on, on par for what... Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, um, so it's the, her funny story for the evening. The silent auction is successful for all, all parties. Um, Quill gets a rug. Arch gets some antique tin, which he has fallen in love with from his ex-wife down below, if you remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, interesting thing that I hadn't, that I don't think was ever made clear um, was that when Arch's ex-wife, uh, uh, Arch's ex-wife took over Iris Cobb's antique shop in the divorce, she also got all of Arch's antique tin collection, and then she opened an antique shop called Tin and Stuff. Tin and stuff. Just to twist the knife on him. That's where I get all my tins and sometimes my stuff. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, So So unfortunately, however, when Quill arrives home, he gets a call from Bart, Uh our favorite attorney, um, saying that Eddington Smith has, in fact, passed away in his sleep due to heart trouble. And he did indeed leave his entire store to Quill. Oh, Eddington. He's been yes. he's been with us for quite some time. He has. And oh, he's delightful. I mean, Aww. come on. Bookstore owner. We I love know. him. Now, this also includes the building that Eddington Smith, that Eddington's store occupies, which was made of feldspar, like the Klingon show in Mansion. So it sparkles in the sunlight. It's a tourist attraction. Um, and the building was originally a blacksmith shop belonging to Eddington's grandfather, who was rumored to have been a lake pirate with a hoard of treasure buried in the backyard, Yarr. which, by the way, was now paved for parking. <laughs> it's now what? Paved for parking. <laughs> um, what a legacy for a pirate. Indeed, indeed. All right. This beamy space. Apparently, Ed did it to discourage people from trying to dig up his backyard. No, that, that makes perfect sense, especially if there's going to... Pirates always have hidden treasure. Exactly. Don't want any looky loose. So the next day... Put the ticket in your dash, me <laughs> So the next day in morning, Quill stops in to chat with Susan Exbridge about a couple of items that popped up in the something that day. He's congratulating her on being accepted to a very prestigious uh, antique show back east. Mm. And he's here to be nosy because... Oh, it's Quill. Her ex-husband the infamous Don Exbridge of XYZ, um, has posted a notice dissolving XYZ Enterprises. It's no more. It's going to be no more. Apparently, Don Exbridge is keeping Indian Village under the name of Don X Construction. (laughs) Casper Young, who is the Y, is starting his own construction company. And Dr. Zola, the Z, is retiring completely. Oh, my. Now, we have a pretty major mistake here. Quill claims to have never met Young or Zoller, but in the early Moose County days, Dr. Zoller was Quill's dentist. And Junior Goodwinter's wife, by the way, was was J- his wife Jody was his hygienist. So we know Dr. Zoller. We don't know him well because, you know, there's, there's a level of professional distance there. But you can't say that you didn't know him. Boy, the I man hope, had his hand in your mouth. I hope so. <laughs> you... Someone's had a hand in your mouth. You you know them to some a, degree. You're on a first name basis, at least. Yeah. Anyway, you can't say that you don't know them. 
Uh, tell, I say to my proctologist, hey, buy me dinner first. <laughs> yes, you said that last year, too. Exactly. Now, continuity aside, Susan is convinced that whatever Don has planned, it probably isn't completely good or legal. Hmm. He has made a, his, he has made a pattern of not being the most above-board kind of guy. Um, after this, Quill attempts to get to know Kurt Nightingale by inviting him over to hear the WPKX broadcast about the Citizens Firewatch. But we learn that Kurt is afraid <laughs> of cats, and this becomes awkward because, of course, Coco knows it. Does not. Oh, and so. Um, Coco likes to harass uh, the allurophobes around us, and Coco ends the visit by knocking potted plants off the balcony. Oh, no. Now, in Coco's defense, Fran Brody, what were you thinking giving a house with cats uh, potted plants? That they can knock off the balcony. Really? Not That's the best just idea. asking for it's trouble. It's just stupid. Um, so, Kurt is scared out the door. Is Coco trying to tell us something? We're really not sure. Um, except for the fact sure. that. Well, we're not totally sure about this one. Hmm. Um, but it is very clear that um, Kurt Nightingale's response is anytime someone says, Oh, I like such and such a book, Kurt says, Oh, well, you could get this very expensive first edition for several thousand dollars and blah, 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 and you should start collecting these. Not every book brought up, brought up in conversation should be valued, and hmm. Quill is never going to buy rare, expensive books just because he can't. Just because he has the money. He, he is not here to, to just kind of hand you money. Um, I realize that that's what you think is going to happen with when you're talking with the, with the only billionaire in uh, in breathing room, but still, it's not. Yeah, just it's really annoying. Every time he is brought, every time he is in conversation with someone, it inevitably ends with him saying, "Oh, such and such a book. It's worth such and such a thing. I have the. I have found similar things with, you know, with excellent bindings. Blah blah blah. No one cares. <laughs> First edition Aristotle or Plato or whatever it was from <laughs> that from that the terrible Iliad. movie, the Iliad. The Il- it was the Iliad. That's yes. right. Yes, which was a was as it should be mentioned an oral tradition. <laughs> it was not translated for several hundred years. Maybe it was a first edition from an Oxford print or whichever. But either way, yeah, either way. it was just it's yeah. Either it way, it wasn't clarified in that terrible, terrible movie, The Boy Next Door. Anyway. <laughs> the next day is Eddington's funeral, which mm. is small, exactly as Ed would have wanted. And afterwards, Quill kind of wanders by the bookstore and contemplates creating a work and learn program through the community college in the art of repair and bookbinding. Since, as he learns from Polly, there's no one local who now can repair the books of the library and for the private collector. That's a lost... It's Nowadays, it's even more of a lost art. Exactly. But even back then, it was becoming a very scarce It's a very specialized uh, skill. And yeah. to have had somebody of Ed's experience and knowledge... Um, you know, it would have been great if they'd thought about this program, oh, I don't know, five years before, so that Ed could have actually trained somebody how to do this. But anyway, um, he picks up the, uh, the the daily copy of the something, and he sees a letter to an editor, a letter to the editor, which sounds like it came from someone at the Historical Society praising the preservation of our mining heritage. Hmm. Which is great, except until you realize it's signed Don Exbridge which leaves Quill, Polly, and Susan completely flabbergasted. At dinner that night, Polly thinks that Don might have been hit on the head or (laughs) might be about to be a father, but then she mentions that he and his second wife are are divorcing, so that's ruled out. It's a very strange development from someone who once tried to get the shaft houses rezoned for commercial development. Oh, boy. Um, Later at dinner, Polly presents Quill with a wonderful gift from our dear friend Maggie Sprinkle, she of the cats and the diamond (laughs) torsade. Um... (laughs) 
And she is gifting Quill with a vintage martini pitcher from the steamship Liberté, which he had previously admired at her house. Despite not drinking himself, Quill has a great appreciation for excellent barware. Mm. Um, so this is a huge, heavy lead crystal pitcher. Oh, wow. These things are incredibly expensive. They're hard to come by. And to have something that's documented as serving um, on these ships makes it incredibly valuable. So it's a very expensive gift. Um, now, the cat's responses to this are a little bit mixed. Coco loves it. Yum Yum hates it. But as it's pointed out, Mikey owns five, five. female cats. Oh, five female cats. Yes. This is kind of our cats will be cats moment uh, with, our, with our male cat thinking, hey, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And female cat saying, excuse me, what? No, thank you. Yeah, exactly. We are not amused. Um, also on the cats will be cats scale, um, Quill mentions having a tucking in ritual with the cats. Um, a whole in. thing that he does when he puts the cats to bed at night. Um, you know, we do something similar with our daughter. Uh, and to be fair, we did something similar with the dogs. Mm, so true. just having that kind of ritual when it's time for bed. Well, it tells him, yes, it's time to bed. It also says that to us as the humans and to you as mm. your parents, we're going to sleep too. Exactly. Um, but after this whole thing is over, Quill then heads out to drive a shift of the Citizens Firewatch with Joe Bunker. Ah. Uh, AKA Weather Be Good. Fortunately <laughs> for them, it's an uneventful shift. Yeah, and weather they not be good lately. Yeah, no kidding. Um, not his fault. Yeah, exactly. He, he has a lot of don't shoot the messenger moments. Um <laughs> So while they're out on this uneventful shift, they talk a lot about curling because there's a new curling club in the area, which is also, by the way, groundwork for the next book. Okay. Um, but the night is not over. Uh-oh. When Quill gets home, Coco has a cat fit, full on knocking everything over. It's a giant mess. And that can only mean trouble. Quill steps outside, looks towards Pickaxe, just in time to hear a loud boom. Oof. And see a red glow appear on the horizon. Oh, no. Jumps in the car, heads for town to find... His bookstore is in flames. What? His next thought, after no. mourning all the books that just went up in flames, is for Winston the cat, which I love, um, who fortunately then then quickly appears in the vacant lot behind the store, covered in soot and slightly scorched, but otherwise unharmed. Good. Oh. Quill takes him to the local pet hospital, just to be sure, and then arranges his adoption with a lovely retired couple on Pleasant Street. So yay for Winston. He gets Winston a lovely retired life. Getting what he deserves. Exactly. Oh. <sighs> But he's alive. Yeah. But no, that's... There, there's, that, there's that awful moment as you're reading this and you're just like, but what about Winston? No, but I know. It's Winston? like at this point, if something happens to Coco or Yummy, I was like, well, there's there's five more books. <laughs> but it was just, oh no, not poor Winston. Yeah, we, haven't, we haven't seen him in a bit. Exactly. This is... No. So, so at this good. point, Quill is starting to get some major tingles in the mustache. Um, <laughs> before his death, um, oh, Ed's neighbor at the dry cleaner mentioned that he'd been approached by a Bixby, which is kind of south of town bixby huh? bixby county um which is another part which is another neighbor of moose county um not one of the nicer places to live mm. to give you an idea um but a bixby real estate firm wanted to buy the whole block but ed wouldn't sell and neither would the other landlords now of course the crown jewel of the block is blasted to smithereens and quill starts talking to brody about possible arson mm -hmm. uh the next day he heads he heads to dinner with barry morgan the new innkeeper reminder at the mcintosh inn whose brother dr theo and his wife misty and their two yorkies have just moved down <laughs> yay yorkies um, he's a dermatologist. He's a dermatologist. She is, of all things, a large-scale batik artist. A batik artist. Yes. I interesting. That would not be. Would not be my first choice. Batik is a very interesting and very specific art, um, and I do love that she discusses how the art works and how she creates her really large-scale works. 
Um, so batik, for those of you who don't know, is uh, dyeing and over-dyeing of fabric with uh, applications of wax to keep mm-hmm. the color where you want it or where you don't want it. And it's a very beautiful piece. It's a very beautiful art form, but like mm-hmm. you say, it's a very specific one. Yes. And it's, yeah, having the materials and having everything that you would need for it, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Well, it turns out that Quill already has one of her works hanging over the fireplace at his condo because... It's, sorry, I'm just thinking in my head, is it? it's Asian in, in origin? Yes, it is uh, South Pacific. South Pacific. Yes. Gotcha. Um, so now, as I mentioned, Quill already has one of her works hanging over his fireplace at the condo because Fran Brody recommended it and she has become Misty's local represent, rep- representative. Oh. Um, he gives uh, Misty and Theo the same solid small town advice that he gave to Barry when he moved to town. Oh. And they talk about the local mayor's race. Um, again, let's remind everybody <laughs> that this is between three-time incumbent Gregory Bly, whose mother was a good winter, and Amanda Goodwinter, who has the familial edge since her father was a good winter. Afterwards, Quill head, heads home for ice cream. And what is Amanda Goodwinter's campaign slogan again? We'd rather have Amanda. <laughs> well, I think we all would. Anybody other than the uh, man who managed to escape being arrested for a sex scandal at the high school. I know. he's Well, he's also essentially basically the mayor from Jaws, too. Yep. So I think he's... Also true. Time for him to leave. So the next day, there's a last-minute dinner invica- invitation. Quill is invited to dinner along with Polly, with Maggie Sprinkle, and of all people, Dr. Zoller, who, Ooh, again, he claims that he has never met. But his... Fingers have been in his mouth. Yes, remember, he was his dentist. Maggie greets them under a <laughs> crystal and amethyst chandelier, and Quill notes that she is unusually cat hair free, considering her well loved five lady cats. Yes. Um, dinner is uneventful, but after dinner drinks um, at his condo turns sour because it turns out that Polly hates the batik wall hanging. Hmm. Um, so they're. The batik the, the wall hanging was of two robins pulling out a worm, and. It's done in large scale, so I can see where somebody might interpret it as um, violent and, frankly, unappealing. Aggressive and very... Polly's not a fan. Mm -hmm. The good news is that Misty understood this, so she did two wall hangings, one with the worm and one without. Um, (laughs) Quill then calls, immediately calls Fran and gets it changed out. Um, But regardless of that, the next morning... Polly's on Quill's doorstep, disturbed by a phone call from Maggie's housekeeper. Uh-oh. Maggie and the cats have disappeared. <gasps> Quill is speculating that Maggie and Dr. Zoller have eloped, but that doesn't ring true, because he hates cats. Um, and apparently, <laughs> he is hated by Amanda Goodwinter, who Quill learns when he stops by the design studio to see about exchanging the batik the bat- hanging. And Maggie and Amanda have been longtime friends. Hmm. Um, so, like I mentioned, fortunately, Misty made a version without the worm, so everyone is kept happy. And Quill All then, is well. Yeah. Quill then wonders why Zoller didn't attend the country club reception that was being held that night, because he's the president um, for the new dermatologist, a.k.a. Misty's husband. So hmm. something is very fishy here. Mustache is going crazy. Mm, going crazy. Um, thank you, Jamie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, speaking of the batik hangings and the dermatologist, Quill stops by what used to be Gil McMurchie's house on Pleasant Street to interview Misty about her batik artistry. He's fascinated by the work, even more so when she gossips about the country club reception that she was at the night before. She has gotten a commission to do t- uh, batik hangings of the ten shaft houses. Okay. From, of all people... Don Exbridge. Huh. And she makes an interesting observation. The mayor 
has had extensive plastic surgery after what she assumes is a terrible accident. (laughs) Apparently, Quill never noticed and no one has ever mentioned anything. So, mustache switching, I have to question this. Um, We know this man well enough to know what his family tree is. Quill, you're referring to. No, we're talking about Gregory Bly. Ah, okay. We know him well enough to know that he... What his family tree is, and yet no one has thought to notice or comment on his t- on his extensive plastic surgery. Hmm. Never. I uh, something is uh, something doesn't quite make sense. Anyway, <laughs> um, so skipping that part, we then take a visit to the Land Speaks department store, oh, where um, we learn why Zoller didn't attend. Uh, because apparently he resigned the presidency of the country club when he left XYZ due to bad feelings, according to Carol. Ooh. A further stop at Lois's luncheonette for pie and a chat with Lenny Inchpot reveals that Zoller, who had been staying at the inn after he sold his house, checked out at 11.30 p.m. the night before. There are no flights at that hour, so the whole thing is getting very suspicious. Hmm. Continuing this tour of suspicion, Quill makes his way to the new <laughs> kennel in Kennebec. Um, which is called the Pet Plaza, occupying the former site of Chet's Bar and Barbecue. Ah, uh, Chet's. Um, which I'm sure makes it very popular with its animal guests. Um, <laughs> the description for this is hilarious. It's been redone by like a Greek temple, except that all of the gods have cats or dogs heads. <laughs> kind of fabulous. I love it. I'm use. And then he gets a surprise when he arrives I'm because Achilles. yes, sorry. <laughs> I love it. Um, but when he arrives, he's greeted by of all people, Lori Bamba. Oh. Who this says, has retired from B&B keeping to become a pet concierge. This is another goof, by the way, because Lori has been running the spoonery on Stable Row for the last few books uh, since the cat who uh, who said cheese. This seems like there's a lot of inconsistencies suddenly happening. There really are. It's, it's very uncomfortable. Was there not a continuity uh person <laughs> continuity I'm, editor on this? based on the privacy level that lillian jackson braun preferred i'm betting she was her own continuity person mm-hmm. um but her notes are starting to get bad mm. so she also mentions that nick has been doing maintenance engineering but doesn't clarify that it, if it's still at the turkey farm or somewhere else which is where he was originally digression aside Lori shows cool around and sure enough guess who he spots while he's there maggie's five cats huh who, Lori tells him, arrived the day before and before the dinner party at Maggie's, which is why she didn't have any cat hair on her clothes at dinner, and that they'll be staying for, get this, a month. A month? Where have you gone, Maggie? Interesting. But at least the cats are all right. Cats are fine. Cats are fine. Um, In the meantime, Arch stops by to discuss some backlash to Don's too sweet letter in praise of shaft houses. (laughs) Quill quickly realizes that they are all by the same person copied in different handwriting, a suspicion that Arch shares when the paper realizes that none of the signatures match anyone in the local phone book. Um, (laughs) This may be the titular rat that we're starting to smell, but it's not necessarily by Coco. Like I said, we, we smell the rat metaphorically. Um, not necessarily actually coming across yes. one and saying a rat. Yeah, we're not actually doing the whole smelling of, of a rat. <laughs> so then after midnight, Coco sounds his death howl. Oh, no. Because a member of the Citizens Firewatch who was reporting a blaze was killed. Oh. The name doesn't really ring a bell at first because we don't know anyone named Ralph. And then Fran Brody calls because he's rough. Her installer, who has been a 22-year-old, is supporting his family after his father died. Tears, tears, tears. Um... And he's the one who installed uh, anything at Quill's uh, house and a house and uh, barn for the last couple of books. Aww. So Ruff was driving the uh, was driving the brigade and spotted a car and flames near the Big B mine, which, by the way, was the one owned by Maggie Sprinkle's great great grandfather. Ah, 
or great grandfather. Sorry, there's only one there. Still um, though. He pulls behind to get the plate, and when he was a- um, while he was able to report that to the dispatcher, the dispatcher then heard a shot and silence. So, despite being found on an access road, most locals don't know about the car had out-of-town plates. Hmm. But thanks to Ruff's uh, selflessness, we know that somebody is actively setting fire to these various locations. So it's not accidental then, of Not course. remotely. Uh. Um, further causing Quill's mustache to twitch is Polly's report that she heard Kurt arguing with another man through the walls of their condos. Remember, these are very, very, very thin, thin walls. walls. Yes. Um, but there was no car in the drive. So some, so it's likely somebody who lives in the development. She also mentioned that she's not talking with Kurt as much these days since he apparently mistook her small town neighborliness for something else. Oh. <laughs> Clutch the pearls. Clutch the pearls and yeah. fanning doing a bit of a Mrs. W- Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. White. Yes. Anyway. The side after- of my face. Flames. Flames on the side of my face. Anyway, I hate her so much. much. Anyway, after this, they head off to Amanda Goodwinter's mayoral rally, and Maggie Sprinkle, as Amanda's lifelong friend, is conspicuously absent. Hmm. Otherwise, it's a lovely event and raises lots of money, and things are good. Um, so another uh, must-ass twitch comes when Ernie runs into uh, the darling Ernie Kempel at the bank. Um, Ernie Kempel, which we met in a previous book, has been putting together plans to have an antique village in a new, in in an empty downtown space, which has been derailed when the building owners decided to go into business for himself with a quote unquote recreation center rather than sell the building. This, in combination with the bombing of Ed's additions, is making it clear that someone has plans for downtown pickaxe and is willing to go around the law to make them happen. A few more things kind of click into place when Quill meets Jeffa Young, who is Casper Young's mother. Um, Jeff is an accountant whose sideline is astrology. She is concerned (laughs) that her son is facing a challenge and moved to Moose County to provide motherly support. Sure. Um, Jeffa is actually not very suspicious. She really is a lovely character. Um, But since her son is the former Y in XYZ Enterprise... I can kind of understand why she might be thinking he might be facing a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a full crash course in the, in the life of, and times of Casper Young because Lillian Jackson Broad apparently never thought him interesting enough to include in any of the previous books. Basically, <laughs> learned to build well, got involved with XYZ, compromised his integrity for money until he fell for a local woman currently still married to Don Exbridge, because um, that's not a problem, and decided that he needed to strike out on his own. Wow. Quill suggests that uh, Casper employ the service of Dwight Somers to improve his PR from a builder of leaky roofs to one of integrity. Good suggestion, honestly. Um, when Quill gets home, though, he has a message from Polly asking him to come over because she's had a letter from Maggie. Oh. Because apparently she and Zola are possibly in Arizona and getting married. Because when you want a quick wedding, you go to Arizona. Arizona. But don't try and contact them and she'll write again. Not suspicious at all. No, not not at all. Next, we learn that the car Ruff died reporting was not only out of state, but stolen. Mm. And Coco is now sitting here tossing wooden decorative apples into Quill's new rug, um, which, as we mentioned, was acquired during the silent auction, which then turns out to have belonged to Elizabeth uh, to Elizabeth Hart's father, whose possessions Quill is slowly inheriting, um, with the exception of his UFO library. Um, <laughs> there, there has been the pyramid. There has been the Twistlewig rocker. All of these things. Um, This is a Danish rear rug. It's supposed to be lovely. Um, Who knows? Coco's message, by the way, is still not getting through. So the apples keep finding their way into the rug. Um, Next day, Quill checks in with Polly, makes sure she's okay, then drops by the art center and everything's coming up the Morgans and Ogilvy's because Barb Ogilvy is now dating Barry Morgan from the inn. And this really seems very happy. So much for Hixie there, but Barb and Barry seem like a good combination. 
Misty is talking. Misty is teaching a class in Batik and has her giant commission to work on from a source who wishes to remain anonymous. It's Don Exbridge. Um, <laughs> wishes to remain anonymous, but not Quill's for long. Quill's theory is that Don Exbridge is hedging his bets that the shaft houses houses might quote unquote burn down. And uh, <laughs> when talking with Misty about this, she's wondering what she should charge for these. She mentions that she usually would charge. Something like twenty five hundred for per per piece, and Quill says double it, absolutely so 5, double 000. it. She has to get more. She has to get assistance. She has to get more vats. True. Double the price. More than materials. So everything. No, sure, I, sure, I really sure. appreciate that Quill is looking at this and saying, "You are an artist. Your work is valued, and you should be paid what you're worth for these." No, exactly. Especially since the person who's wanting you to do this is an absolute snake. <laughs> um, yes. So anyway. With that, Quill then heads to the brand new Nutcracker Inn, which is formerly the Limburger Mansion, to have dinner before he and Joe Bunker visit the new Curling Club. Um, while there, we learn that the Nutcracker Inn is looking for live-in innkeepers. Hey! Shocker there, Quill immediately suggests the Bombas, um, but he's less than enamored with curling and writes a very tongue-in-cheek journal entry about it. Um, but he does, at this time, meet Casper Young and the soon-to-be ex-Mrs. Exbridge the second. Um, whose name is Robin. Mrs. Exbridge. Oh, um, Quill and Weatherby leave after the curling practice while Cass waits for a technician for the ice compressor. And when they get home, Coco once again sounds his death howl. Oh, no. In the morning, we learn that Casper fell to his death down the steps of the curling club. Oh. With a note that he may have hit his head on the curling stone on display, which is very odd. Hmm. Where, and the, the biggest question here is fell or was pushed. Or a, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. pretty much clear that he was pushed. Um... At this point, Casper's stepsister arrives, this is Jeffa's stepdaughter, to convince <laughs> Jeffa to Jeez. move with her to Idaho now that Cass is dead. This woman is an absolute pill who's preaching Idaho superiority over Moose County, which is winning her no fans. Mm. Uh, she's not mourning her stepbrother much, which is strange and a little suspicious, even though it technically amounts to nothing. I mean, Idaho, sure, they've got Dutch brothers, but that's about it. Yeah, you can get that. You can, you get, can get Dutch too. brothers out in Moose um, County. Cool can do now, that. At this point, it should be mentioned that Jeffa is being courted by uh, the delightful Wannell McQuannell, also the CPA. He technically has a wife, but she's on her deathbed and nobody expects her to survive very long. Let's also remember her back from the cat who wasn't there and she was, God, what a nightmare. She Um, was, yeah, speaking of pills. Yes. Um, She at least was just very sick and whiny um, rather than actually being cruel and whiny. (laughs) So... Um, Quill, after this meeting, Quill and Polly put money on Jeff staying in Moose County, and they win their bet. Uh, the next morning, the stepdaughter is gone, but not before Susan Expert hears a terrible fight between the two women. Remember those walls within. Yes. Later that day, Quill heads down to Lockmaster to give a talk to the literary club, and when he returns, he spots a mysterious figure entering Amanda Goodwinter's condo. Mm. Not positive, but he thinks it might be Maggie, which Uh-oh. he is able to confirm the next day by taking Coco for a walk along the, uh, uh, along the riverbed. Um, Maggie is, of course, in need of feline therapy, with having spent now at least a week without her beloved ladies. Coco provides it very calmly, and Quill's a sympathetic ear. Maggie is back because Zoller needs someone to talk to his lawyer, and he doesn't think Cass Young's death was an accident. Mm-mm. So Zoller is here because he needs someone to make a deal with the prosecutor. Oh. So Quill spends the next evening evening visiting the Rikers with Polly to see their new sofa, as sofa and have a quote-unquote little supper. They basically, I mean, I'm sorry, you're going to dinner with a food writer for the paper. You're getting. You're going to have a a, a very decadent meal. Exactly. They discuss the local tragedy. Um, 
they, they discuss a new local tragedy. It should be clarified. We've had a couple. So there's been quite a few this book already. This particular one is interesting. Moose County has murals in its post office that were painted by the WPA in the 1930s wow. using locals as models. Unfortunately, the paint is flaking, and unless someone can come up with a Hail Mary restoration idea, the murals will have to be covered mm. and destroyed. After dinner, Quill discovers that Coco has been shredding the something, um, but again, we're not sure what he was referring to this time. Huh. Um, the next day, Coco stages a full-on cat fit, leading Quill to think that the big one may finally be on its way. Ooh, hopefully. Um, but Coco is drawing Quill's attentions to the batik hangings featuring Robins, which finally causes Quill to make a connection with Robin uh-huh. Xbridge. Under the pretext of a manicure emergency, apparently Moose County can support freelance manicures? That's what Robin does for a living? I don't know. Um, maybe, maybe that it's a, who knows? Well, yeah, I can't. I have charge nothing. an X amount for a gig, gig, who, who knows? Yeah, anyway. Who knows? He invites her over, is nosy as hell under the guise of concern. Of course. Um, apparently, according to her, Dawn blames Cass, uh, Cass Young for the breakup of their marriage, despite uh, Cass and Robin... Despite Don and Robin being horribly mismatched and Cass not meeting Robin until after they'd been married for a while. Um, but Robin then heard, overheard Don, Cass, and Zoller fighting about a payday loan company that Don wanted to start, claiming that it was legal while Cass and Zoller were said it was immoral and predatory. They are correct. They are very correct. Um, that's when they both resigned from XYZ. Zoller uh, apparently told Cass that they should both leave town while they're still healthy, but Cass didn't listen. Now that's he's dead. Not a threat at all. Not remotely. But now Cass is dead and Zoller is hiding in Arizona. Um so we're finally getting through with the Robin connection. Um Coco's next focus is the glove box that was given to Polly by Kurt. Turns out it has a false bottom, hiding a letter from a G Omblower to Helen Omblower with a chipmunk address. Clomblower and Homblower. No, uh, well, Omblower is the last name. I No, I know, but yeah. just putting the first name, the initial in there. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. But still. Um, chipmunk address, so it's local. Quill plans to visit uh, Romer, uh, Homer, excuse me, Homer and Rhoda Tibbet, hoping that they might know the name of Omblower. But during all of this discovery, Quill was put on the spot by Brody to speak to a crowd protesting the removal of the murals in the post office, and Quill comes up with, honestly, a pretty brilliant plan on the fly to save them. By having them professionally photographed and recreated with modern touches by a firm in Lockmaster, which was the one that painted the library bookmobile. Oh, that's a great Plans a sensation. Quill is once again the hero of the hour. And it's like... <laughs> Why didn't anybody else think Someone of that? Someone just just take a picture and just read. Yeah, that's... let's let's take a picture. Let's recreate them with modern techniques, and you know maybe use a few modern people. Well, and this is also two thousand and one. I mean, digital cameras were not that like it wasn't like these were just a brand brand new thing. No, and it's not like you couldn't have done this with you know actual film cameras too. No, exactly, exactly. But just I know digital cameras at that point might. My dad had one of the first digital cameras I think I've ever remember, but it was one where you could put in a 3.5 floppy disk. Mm, it held wow. maybe three pictures, but <laughs> they were good quality pictures. Yes. You went through a ton of floppy disks, but whatever. But either way, get one of those and snap. There you go. So now with the snow <laughs> imminent, um, according to Weather Be Good, so people are starting to have last drink parties. Quill runs some errands, runs into Ernie Campbell and Burgess Campbell, who is a new character. Burgess Campbell. Burgess Campbell is a blind lecturer at uh, Moose County Community College with his guide dog named Alexander. Aww. And they're laughing because the building that Ernie wanted to buy as an antique mall is now going to be called, now going to be a gambling parlor, their claimed recreation. But the, but this isn't the best part. It's the name. They're going to call the gambling parlor the Shaft House. 
because you'll get the shaft. You'll get the shaft. Shut your damn okay, mouth. Okay, so usually gambling isn't allowed in Moose County, but somebody greased the right palms and got the right ah, permit. Ah, ah, um, ah. Cool is starting to wonder if Otto of Otto's Taste Eats, which is now finally closed, <laughs> is actually a Donex associate. Remember, this is Donex is the new cl- is the new firm that uh, Donex Bridges formed. Right, right. So. And he's also starting to wonder about the logistics of exposing corruption in a small town. It might be easier and safer, he realizes, to move away, which might be why Zoller is trying to work from a distance. Hmm. Next, we have a visit to Homer Tibbet at the Joint Replacement Spa, which joint is... Joint Replacement. Yeah. Um, he ha- he's had a hip replaced at 96. Mm-hmm. Um, and they call it the Replacement Spa because it's actually this very nice spa, spa environment uh, paid for by the, by the K-Fund. At the new hospital. So this uh, this visit reveals that Helen Omblower was a single parent with a troublemaking straight-A student son who helped form a white-collared crime ring with two kids from better families to forge report cards. Oh. We've heard this story before. It all starts somewhere. All from Mildred. Um, the student's name was George, and in his letter to his mother, he tells her to forget about him because he'll always be her bad apple. Oh. Coco. This is Coco's connection. Yep, yep, yep. That's why Coco's been tossing the damn wooden apples. Um, one of the other bad apples was Gideon Blake, who left town, got a couple of degrees, and returned in the name of Gregory Bly. Oh. Nobody, but obviously everyone knows who he is because they know his mother was a good winter. This right. makes no sense it's... to me. Um, he's the scandal-avoiding mayor, Blah. Um, now, according to Rhoda, after Homer retired, Bly then became principal, wriggled out of the scandals involving female students before becoming the long-serving mayor that we know and loathe. This is this is a me- whether or not she had intended it. This is a metaphor for our previous administration. Yeah, I swear much. to God. Jeez. So then later that night, Quill returns to Indian Village and finds that one of the cats is thrown up on the last book that he bought from Ed Smith. Oh. Which was a colored history of Egypt. Fortunately, it's protected by a plastic cover, and it starts Quill thinking. And he invites Kurt over in the morning to discuss his, quote-unquote, fictional plans to invest in rare books. Because <laughs> promise people money, they'll come over for anything. Oh, absolutely. That night, Quill takes Polly to dinner at the Nutcracker Inn, and we learn that Misty Morgan stopped by to offer some batik hangings to the library, which is lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, and Polly took her to lunch as a thank you. Misty then points out that not only has the mayor had reconstructive surgery, but so has another man in the restaurant. And that man is Kurt Nightingale. Oh. As they're leaving, they overhear a staff member ask if the guest on the third floor can have a visiting cat because she misses her five cats. Clearly, Maggie is still in town. Hmm. Brody then stops by for a last drink back in Indian Village. As they said, these are the last drink parties that people have before the snow flies and everyone's snowed in for a couple of days. And then they're stuck in there for a while. Yeah. Um, And Brody hears the message from Kurt confirming his and Quill's appointment uh, later the next morning. Quill, Brody has always believed in Coco's abilities, so he takes Quill very seriously as Quill lays out his theories about the bookstore bombing, the deaths of Ruff and Cass. Um, while Brody doesn't recognize the Omblower name, he does mention that the something will have some interesting news about the Donex associates in the next few days. Quill then suggests maybe he should have a policeman on the premises, and it might be wise. It might not be. It a bad might not idea. be a bad idea to have that when he meets with Kurt slash with Kurt Nightingale slash George Omblower the following day, and Brody agrees. So in the morning, Quill arranges to have the cats boarded at the pet plaza for a few hours. Lori Bomba sends a limo for them. Um, <laughs> the cats are not happy, but eventually they do leave in their carrier. While the plumber's van arrives with Pete from the sheriff's department behind the wheel. Pete hides upstairs. A pizza is delivered by another police officer, and all is in readiness for Quill to spring into, to spring the trap. Proper, proper trap. 
trapped food just to hang out. I got the pizza. Got a pizza and Bloody Marys. It's, you know, clearly that's what we're doing. Hey, that's, uh, I've had worse nights that have that. True. Worse nights and worse mornings. So Kurt slash George arrives and after very little small talk, uh, Quill brings up the possibility of arson at the shaft houses. Um, Quill is not playing subtle here. He then switches topics again to a proposed rare book room, asks Kurt slash George to jot down any titles he thinks might be useful. Which is really just so he can compa- compare the handwriting to the envelope letter, which has a unique backhand slant. And, of course, it's a match. Hmm. Quill then mentions that he saw Kurt at the curling club the night Cass Young dies. Well, Kurt just claims to have a social membership and was there for the practice. Mm-hmm. Sure, why not? Let's go with that, sure. And then Quill goes in for the kill, bringing up the story of the three bad apples at Pickaxe High School, and Kurt tries to then bash Quill's brains in with the crystal martini pitcher. What? Quill ducks... The pitcher smashes through the patio doors and lands unharmed on the deck, which <laughs> should be a qualifier, uh, which should be all the proof anyone ever needs that XYZ cheaped out on the materials. Clearly. Because that patio door should have been safety glass, which right. never should have, which never should have broken. Should have shattered, anyway. and that's crystal, it, martini pitcher should not be that strong. Uh, yeah, it, it would not be that strong. But through crappy glass, could totally work. Goodness. Uh, as the um, the pet the pitcher, as I said, smashes the patio door, lands unharmed on the deck. Cops surround the condo, arrest Omblore. Sure, and, the pizza, everything is okay. Exactly. Arch then calls a few hours later to report that the mayor has been arrested for operating a Ponzi scheme, which is also, by the way, called a pyramid scheme, which is why Coco's <laughs> obsession with an Egypt book. <laughs> Xbridge will then be arrested as an accomplice before the fact an envelope will be charged on arson and murder counts. Amanda will win the mayor the mayorship unopposed, and there is rejoicing in the streets. Uh, really, literally, they are out celebrating Xbridge and Bly finally getting arrested after all the crimes they've gotten away with. And with that, the big one rolls in and the fire watch is over. For now. Oh boy, for now. That's that's ominous. Indeed it is. Our heroes are left with an uncertain future. But still lots of money. Oh, yes. So it could be worse. My watch is over. For now. (laughs) For now. So I'm really starting to realize on this particular reread that Lillian Jackson Braun is starting to lay the groundwork of what what would have become the final novel of the series, which, as I mentioned, was The Cat Who Smelled Smoke. Coco certainly smells that. Um, This is the first real threat to the shaft houses, which are, of course, flammable and potentially a huge loss to the community if they are destroyed. And this is the first indication that she really might be planning to just burn the whole thing down. Jeez. Well, that's... In Dungeons & Dragons, when the DM is bored, they say rocks fall, everybody dies. She just may be going to say everything's Everything, on fire. Everything's on fire. Everyone, Everyone's gone. Exactly. Wow. So as I mentioned before, once again, the title of the book, well appropriate this time, because there is a rat to be smelled. Um, it doesn't isn't referenced to Not as... Yeah, there's n- not a good uh, connection there. Yes. Um, with Polly, we have a new reason why Polly and Quill are incompatible. They're decorating styles, which each <laughs> describing the other as, as suffer as suffocating. Oh my. Excuse me. Um, this has been hinted at in previous books. Polly's uh, portrait was painted in a high back Windsor chair while Quill goes for modern everything. Here we see her setting a table with Regency silver and Wedgwood china. Which, by the way, she really must have inherited from Lynette after the cat who tailed the thief because mm-hmm. we have heard nothing about this collection in previous books. <laughs> and Polly is the type who would brag about it. Um, I love this moment, though. After years of shoddy construction, apparently the tenants of Indian Village have had enough. 
and a group including Joe Bunker, Weatherby Good, mm-hmm. um, vandalize an XYZ billboard, which originally read, We Stand Behind Our Products. They pasted a sign on the billboard that read, We Stand Under Our Roofs With Buckets. <laughs> they tipped off the newspaper, and wonder of wonders, the whole complex was re-roofed by the end of the summer, just in time for the worst fall drought in 20 years. Oof. But at least it's fixed. At least it's fixed. And another local news, I am pleased to report that Otto's Tasty Eats has finally, finally closed. <laughs> it will not be missed. Um, the Shaft House, by the way, it falls change. to the wayside. Good change. Um, now, Susan Exbridge, as we mentioned, has a new neighbor, which is Casper Young's mother, Jeffa. She is a celebrated astrologist. And Susan arranges to have Quill have Jeffa read his chart. Of course, using the alias Ronald Frobnitz. The results are scarily accurate. Susan's really weird about it. It's very strange. Ronald Frobnitz is, of course, our nasal-voiced yes, character yes. from the... Ah, yes. I am visiting family. <laughs> Precisely. Um, there's something that does not bode well, but I don't remember enough about these later books. Um, Misty Morgan comments to Quill that after the country club reception, all the men told me they liked my art, and all the women told me they liked my husband. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, God. Cold-blooded. Yep. Um, Misty's got some kind of extrasensory perceptions going on. It's very interesting. Uh, Very clearly. Yes. Um, Quill then mentions being famous for his 14 to 1 martinis, which is apparently (laughs) the ideal dry martini ratio. But it turns out that he has no dry vermouth when Susan Expert stops by, and he hopes she doesn't notice when it's 14 to 0. As somebody who likes my martinis very, very dry, no, no, I would not. Well, it's the Winston Churchill uh, dry martini. (laughs) Take the vermouth bottle out, give it a good look, and put it back. Yep. I'm a fan. Um, We have some interesting updates with with our dear friend Derek Cuddlebrink. He is still working at the Macintosh Inn, doing well. But he's got a secondary gig as a performer with hits such as I Found My Puppy in Pickaxe City and We'd Rather Have a Man to Run Our City to the tune of She'd Be Coming Around the Mountain. Um, he's getting a lot of appreciation for his clever lyrics. But of course, Quill is the writer. Oh, is he Derek is the performer. Derek is the performer. Well, there you go. He sells it. But Quill's his lyricist. But Quill is his secret lyricist. Um, there is a delightful story here about cooking. Uh, Mildred, as we've mentioned, is the food writer, and she tells a great story about cooking with her grandmother and learning how she made what her grandmother called old shoe soup. It's a bean soup that her grandmother claimed got its flavor from an old boot. Um, But when young Mildred got home, her mother told her that the boot that she thought she saw was really just an old ham bone. Um, some people, as Mildred would say, were, encha- were disenchanted when they learned the truth about Santa Claus. I was disenchanted when I learned the truth about my grandmother's bean soup. Um, <laughs> Quill dares her to print the recipe on the food page, but Mildred declines, claiming that she'd be investigated by the Board of Health. Now, is this uh, recipe in the recipe book? It is. Um, it is, and it is a delightfully old-fashioned bean soup where mm. you literally boil a ham bone uh, and and get be- and do beans from scratch. So it's an interesting one. I'd be interested to see what the flavor turns out to be. Hmm. Now, uh, we have cat. We've already did a little bit of cats will be cats. There's not there's some cats in this, but they're they're not the priority. It's more about the people in these later books. And that's hmm, that's interesting. It is. So now with this, then what would be your paw rating? I give this book another two and a half paws. Now, a question for that now two, because I know last time it was a two and a half, almost a two. Are you more, it, does this one feel more two, and where does it feel on that scale, two and a half or two? 
This one feels two and a half. Okay. Um, there is some there is some really good potential here, but it's not executed well. Um, the three bad apples teaming up for one last local scam. I love that concept. Um, I think the secret return really works. Just one more job. But the plastic surgery on two of the members is just weird. And they never really clarify that the third member is Don Exbridge. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But what was the point? Especially considering that everyone knows who Mayor Bly is. Why bother pointing out his plastic surgery and his history of leaving and going down below and changing his name and making it sound so nefarious? I mean, obviously he came back. Everything's fine. <laughs> Once again, though, this is the case where the mystery feels like an afterthought and the surfeit of just one-off characters. I mean, most of them don't pay off in the story, especially the stepdaughter. Um, Casper Young, after waiting all of this time, feels particularly ill-used. I feel like we should have gotten a little bit more time with him. Well, not only that, but also just the inconsistencies in the character, in some, not just the characterizations, but the character history yeah. and some of the other things along those lines just a make it... A lot of things are not lining up. It just makes it feel a little sloppy. And I, again, we don't, you know, but the fact that that uh, Lillian Jackson Braun was just so private, she was her own notes taker, her own archivist. Exactly. If it would help if there was someone else who was just checking to make sure, or if this is just her... I don't know, maybe writing to see what she can get away with or just saying, I'm going to write the books I want to write, which more power to you. Yeah, absolutely. But it's definitely, it's definitely clear that the, the very thoughtful mysteries that she's been doing so well um, in like the, the mid nineties, mm -hmm. because those are really the highlights mm -hmm. um, in addition to the, to the mysteries from the very first part of the series. But now it's kind of like, okay, we're going to write a mystery. We're going to write about people going to Moose County. And she really just kind of wants to write about these people. And the mysteries are kind of an afterthought. And I don't blame her. I don't they either. It's are great. very charming people. They're charming people. It's a great town. It's a great setting. Mm -hmm. It's just a great setting. No, but absolutely. There's also one thing that I find really, really weird. Um, so the stepdaughter, um, Casper Young's stepsister mentions that Jeffa has never met her grandchildren. And I'm sorry, I just don't buy it. Hmm. They say the reason why that is? Because or... they lived in Idaho? That's... I, 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 Jeffa is willing to move from Philadelphia, I think is where she was. I don't remember. Um, but someplace back east, she's willing to move from her home back east to Moose County. But she's not willing to take a plane to Idaho and meet her grandchildren? Hmm. Who are two and four? Something is, yeah. Something's very strange about that. Very and strange. and you know, she mentions that this stepdaughter was, you know, was part of her family fairly young. Mm -hmm. She she raised her. So and it's not as not, if it's yeah late in life or anything. Yeah. It's not as if she was already grown. I think. Interesting. Very strange, and and again, does not pay off. Doesn't do anything for the story or anything for the emphasis on this because again, Casper Young dies. A hundred pages later. What's S the point? Solving everything or... Yeah, plot, plot, uh, plot strands not being fully resolved or being resolved too early and then having to... They're resolved, but, you know, it's it's like the strand itself was resolved, but there are all these stray threads along that mm. never got touched. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So. Well, any other final thoughts on this one, my dear? <sighs> Again, we're getting into the section that's really not my favorite. Um... It's good to reread it because this community is just so damn charming. Mm -hmm. I like going back to the community, but it's frustrating to see these mysteries that don't get tied up as well as I know that she was capable of. Is this going to turn out very much like the last season of Game of Thrones where... <laughs> 
it's it's not that it's bad, it's good, it's an ending, and that's enough. Like, it's an ending. It's going to, isn't it? How badly do you want me to spoil this? Let's find out. We're going to spoil... We're, we're going to find out together. We're going to find we're out gonna together. We're going to find out together. This um, is, and I will oh talk boy. about it, and we will. we can all be... Emotional about this together. So long as so long as Quill doesn't go to the wall, even though there's no yes, need Quill for the wall, that's that's Quill okay. doesn't go to the wall. The cats don't die, so the important things still survive. So Ghost gets to be petted then in this. Yes, so yes, Quill Ghost and, is petted. In so this. Coco and Yum Yum get to be petted. It get pet. It's not yes. going to be. Was I not a good boy? Yeah, so okay, exactly. Good. No, no, no. There, there's none of that. It, it, it takes a really weird turn, but oh, but geez. but the main but the main <laughs> part of it holds holds steady. Well, good. Well, I am now more than curious as we head into the last five books. Um, six? Six. Last six? That's, wow, that's still not that many. Yeah. That's great. Well, not great as in it's going to be over, but just it's, wow, we're, we are nearing the twilight of the series. Yes. Um, now, before we get to the next book, we are going to have a brief bonus episode where I do a little bit more cooking from the cookbook, and we'll be able to talk to you about that experience. And it is... Uh, mixed in some regards mostly it's very good so oh, yes. look, so i look good. forward to talking to you about some of these recipes speaking of bummer endings on one of them Ugh, but yeah. anyway uh anyway yes so thank you so much for listening to cat who did a podcast and join us next time for the cat who went up the creek <laughs> i'm susan romsdorf terry i'm luke romsdorf the cat who went up never mind <laughs> not shit's creek sadly that shit's creek oh. just the cat who went up the creek um <laughs> Until next time, happy sleuthing. And stay nosy, my friends.